You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. This is a very special episode of the Dirty Feet podcast. Back on January 16th, 2014, there was a symposium held by the Bougie Dance Festival. It was facilitated by Tim Rodriguez on behalf of the Bougie Festival and hosted at Mainline Theatre. This is, of course, a recording of that conversation. Please excuse the sound quality. This conversation took place in the lobby at Mainline Theatre right before one of the common space showcases as part of the festival. The participants will introduce themselves in just a moment. The topic of conversation was the unspoken contract between a choreographer and their audience. So I'm going to turn it over now to Amy Blackmore, the artistic director of the Bouge DC Festival. Welcome to our first Bouge d'ici symposium. Bienvenue à la première symposium de Bouge d'ici. C'est quelque chose qu'on voulait faire depuis longtemps. Something that we've been wanting to do for a while. You know, we casually talk about dance with friends, but you know, we thought let's let's get new friends, uh, get together, talk a little more, expand our knowledge. Alors. Uh, C'est une rencontre entre amis et aussi entre d'autres mondes dans la communauté. Je suis très contente. Je vois il y a quelqu'un ici que je connais pas du tout. We don't know each other, so that's really cool. Um, and uh, Tim uh, Rodriguez, uh, right here, uh, approached us with this idea of doing a symposium at the festival. And uh, Tim, thank you so much for bringing it up. We really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, so. You're going to be facilitating tonight. Yes. I'm wondering if before we start, peut-être avant qu'on commence, on peut juste um, nous introduire. I think it might be good to know who we are, that kind of thing. If we could just go around in a circle, is that okay? That's perfect. Right on. Well, I'll start. <laughs> so yeah, uh, my name is Amy. I'm the uh, artistic director of Bouge d'ici. Uh, je suis gérant de la salle ici, le Théâtre Mainline et du Festival Fringe. Um, et j'ai étudié danse à Concordia. Um, and I uh, have lots of thoughts about dance. Um, yeah, that's me. I'm Tim Rodriguez, uh, line designer, um, technician, production manager, dance artist, um, and dance nerd as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My name is Dominic Purcell, I'm the general manager of Bouge DC. I also moonlight as a producer of other kinds of shows, but my day job is in the in the paper world as a businessman. Um, and I love dance, so I'm here as a layperson. <laughs> uh, my name is Maria Simone, uh, primarily dance teacher, interpreter. Um, getting more and more interested in dramaturgy and rehearsal directing and yeah I'm interested to see what we bring to the table. 
Moi, c'est Dani Desjardins. Je suis interprète et chorégraphe. Euh, puis, je suis... Euh... Bon, en fait, <coughs> j'ai eu l'invitation de Tim. Puis, ce qui me... là, je suis actuellement sur le travail d'un solo. Puis, ça fait plusieurs fois que j'essaie de voir euh, ce rapport-là avec le, le public. Puis, je trouve ça intéressant comme... Euh... Comme sujet, puis ça m'intriguait, ça, ça fait que j'avais envie de venir euh, voir ce que nous avions à partager ensemble. Uh, my name is Holly Greco. Uh, I am one of the production managers for Bushy Sea Festival, and I've been around the festival for the last five, six years. Uh, I also graduated from Concordia Contemporary Dance. Uh, I've had experience working a lot uh, out of school in dance theater. Uh, with the comedy and the absurd, etc., etc. Uh, I'm also a dance teacher, and uh, I have a passion for mentoring and uh, rehearsal directing. I'm Alison Burns. I love talking about dance. I run the Dirty Feet podcast, where we talk about dance every week. Uh, I also choreograph and perform myself. Yeah. Allison, thank you so much for recording today. Dirty Feet, awesome, all the way. Yeah. Yeah, cool. <clears throat> okay, uh, so um, here's how we're gonna start. Uh, choreographer has an idea. They're in, go through the entire process of casting and creating and recasting and research and all of that. And the show's finally ready to open. There's an audience member out there. They decide that they've heard about this piece through the paper or through Facebook or through friends or because they know somebody. And they decide to go and they sit down. Piece is about to start. The audience member is open. This is where the contract really starts. I'd like to explore the, the difference between, not the difference, but where choreographic intentions and audience expectations meet. Where in the middle do they meet? Because Um, not every choreographer has um, an ideal audience. Some do. They know exactly who they want to create for. Um, some are just happy to, to go through um, the research and to create a finished work that um, brings them to another level as an artist personally. Some artists really prefer to open their... their their lives and their work up for public consumption to make their work um, quote-unquote accessible so that anybody can come in and watch it. Um, some audience members like to be challenged. They like to sit and take in the work and not necessarily have all the cues for what um, they're seeing. They don't want to be spoon-fed. Some audience members would rather just see things that are um, pleasing to the eye rhythmically enjoyable um, with these different views um, we often find ourselves sitting in an like with, with these different views everybody goes into uh, a dance show with different intentions so um, there's a couple questions that I would want to put out the first one would be for the creators It would be, whom is an ideal, an ideal audience member for your work? Or do you even have one? Is it necessary? I will, I will go a little bit further as to say, if you were to, if, well, as Danny's, you're saying, your, your, your work that you're, you're working on right now, 
this relationship between your work and the audience is something that is playing into your creation? It's something that I really want to happen. Puis c'est justement le questionnement après ça, euh, tu sais, justement, est-ce que je veux plaire, est-ce que je veux faire mon affaire, est-ce que, tu sais, est-ce que je prends en ligne de compte euh, que mon travail peut être accessible ou pas, tu sais, je veux dire, ça peut être des questionnements, mais je veux pas rentrer dans ces questionnements-là, puis je veux juste me demander, euh, est-ce que c'est possible de faire un show, que, justement, t'arrives, le show commence, puis tu, tu crées cette, ce, ce, ce sentiment d'union-là avec le public puis toi, puis voir si c'est possible de de jamais tout le long par rapport à comment comment tu sens que le, le public est en ce moment tu sais si le public veut tu sais est-ce que tu peux vraiment ressentir que le public veut qu'il veut voir quelque chose d'accessible est-ce qu'il veut voir quelque chose qui va être choqué est-ce qu'il veut tu sais puis essayer de voir à chaque soir qu'est-ce que la, le public euh, veut ressentir mettons puis de le faire ou de pas le faire là, mais c'est un petit peu ésotérique mais c'est quand même euh, It's funny because it's almost something that comedians do. Like they can feel their audience as it goes, as a show progresses, or like an improviser, right? You know, comedians have lots of materials, and improvisers can go with the vibe of the dancers around them. But you know, it's I, it's, it's an interesting question. Like how how would you put a show together like that? I don't know. J'ai une question à suivre. Une fois que tu crées un projet. Tu as fait la chorégraphie, et tu, puis tu le présentes devant un public ou une audience. Rendu à ce point-là, comment est-ce que tu réagis si tu vois que l'audience ou les spectateurs ne réagissent pas? Comme, comment est-ce que tu le changes une fois que c'est déjà créé d'une soirée à l'autre? Comme tu vois que c'est un, un public moins informé qui veut juste... Comme, comment est-ce que tu fais le changement ou est-ce que tu fais un changement? Ou est-ce que tu changes pour le, le prochain show? Mm. Comme si tu vois que le, le run du show, comme il n'agit il pas avec le public, c'est-tu... <laughs> so, so my question was, was so you're, you've, 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 you've got a show, you've, made a, you've done a choreography, and you've put, you've put together a show, and it's designed for audience A, but it just turns out that audience B is coming to your show. Mm. How do you, or can you, how do you change the mood to your show to cater it to audience B so that you continue to fill seats? Or like how, how do you know you, that audience B is coming? I, well, that's no. What I'm, the question is, if if on night one you realize, okay, audience B is here instead of audience A, mm -hmm. can can you change your choreography? Is it something you can, like it's? It depends also if if you are the interpreter. Sur scène, je pense que tu as un pouvoir un peu plus... Uh -huh. euh, mm. Tu mm -hmm. peux plus faire qu ce que tu veux parce que tu fais comme « OK, ça, ça, ça mm -hmm. marche pas. Mm » -hmm. Tu peux okay. mettre un petit peu plus de, yeah. de « crunchy » ou tu vas y aller plus slow. Mais si c'est d'autres interprètes, tu n'as pas de pouvoir. Puis après ça, tu peux transmettre okay. à tes interprètes euh, « OK, cette partie-là, peut-être euh, tie it up. » Puis cette partie-là, là, c'est là. Mm -hmm. tu, tu, well, yeah. okay. tu peux ré réarranger ou tu peux comme... It's something that happens on the fly. Oui. 
Um, so it's not so much that the choreography is changing, it's that the the um, energy behind things or the timing or what's say what is actually what's hitting with the audience. You go harder on those ones and okay. I was just thinking that I think it also depends on where in their career a choreographer is. And they, if not, if they don't recognize it, they subconsciously know what type of people and what age group and what kind of, like, if critics are coming, you know. So they, they in a way, gear their work with that sort the, of thing. The stage two, the, the end placement where the show's going to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Can tell a bit. Exactly. Yeah. Are you going to have critics? Are you going to have... Uh, are these people that are going to further your career, or are they close friends and it's a sort of more relaxed setting? Right. Yeah. yeah. This is actually um, how much does somebody's mood affect how they take in a performance? As the layman, <laughs> how would how when you're in a good mood, are you more open for a performance? Do you censor yourself from seeing a show if you're not in a good mood? Like how much about how you're feeling when you sit in? in the seat, how does that affect how you take in the work? Because can you take in, let's say, a more edgy or risky piece when you've had a bad day? Or do you have to be in a better mood so that you're more open or more relaxed in order to take in something that may not be um, a mainstream piece? I guess it depends a lot on the type of edgy. I like edgy. Um, but when you're tired, um, it, a, a show really has to be edgy to pull you and to wake you up, you know. Um, but this, I mean, there's something to be said for a classical piece as well, like something a little bit softer. I find it, oh, I didn't mean to interrupt, I'm just no, excited just by the topic, but I find, I find that, you know, I can be in a really bad mood walking into a show and uh, it will probably color the first 15 minutes of the performance for me. If the work is good, 15 minutes into it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm engaged in the work. Yeah. Like, if the work is good, it's gonna grab me. Uh, if the work isn't good, I'll probably stay in that bad mood. Uh, so yeah, I find it really yeah. <laughs> depends on the quality of the work, really. Just to comment further, yeah. in the representation of Common Space on January the 15th, 2014, <laughs> <laughs> for labor dating, um, there's nobody that left that room like anything but ecstatic. I don't know. <laughs> there, like there was, there was. There, I saw some, you know, some some interested faces, some solemn faces. Some some people were just hanging there watching, mm -hmm. and and as the shows were going on, the build was the build was so strong, um, and it and it finished wonderfully, and people. People were awake, alert, sharp, and happy to be there, and it's and, and a good a good show will do that. The f that's also the fun thing about a compilation performance, right? Mm -hmm. When you have a compilation uh, performance like that, or like shows that you see sometimes in dance schools, you know the show can progress, and the curators can set it up in a way that they they can guarantee that you're going to be in a good mood. 
when you leave. And it's sort of, that's a place that I'm starting to get comfortable in. You know, I work for two festivals that have a really wide audience, the Fringe and Bouge DC. So the work is very diverse. So there's always something that everybody's going to like and something everybody's going to hate. But it's hard. Like, what do you do when it's your work, when it's one hour of you? That's like the other side of it, I guess. Uh, to come back to the idea of uh, what you alluded to about the first 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, how important is the first 15 minutes in the creation of a piece? For uh, the creation, the, the premier 15 minutes, like how important, what are you trying to establish in those first moments to grab the audience? Because it, it, from a personal standpoint, the first 15 minutes or five minutes in a situation like uh, a smaller work is very important to me as an audience member because I need to I need something it, it's not the be all end all for how the piece is enjoyed but that's there's the first hook you know so yeah. just the importance of that is something that can be explored you know that's what I, where I'd like to go at this moment ça me fait penser à, comme à le cinéma c'est le en cinéma la première partie les premières 20 minutes c'est là vraiment le setup pour mm -hmm. le restant du film it's sort of like the the well, unspoken, spoken truth of, of movies. The intro is done at the end of 20 minutes, and if you're not convinced, you're probably going to shut it off. Mais je sais pas c'est quoi en danse, Encore, je pense ça dépend du... de l'intérêt que tu as par rapport à plaire ou à faire ton exploration personnelle. Mais, c'est comme tu l'as dit, te dire hook, tu sais, c'est... Parce que ça dépend, tu, sais, tu, peux, tu peux hooker en, faisant, en donnant quelque chose de, de, de facile. Tu, sais, tu peux faire une, une, un début qui est facile, tu sais, qui va vraiment te, tu sais, entrer en matière pour qu'après ça, tu les amènes ton public dans, dans le climax. Ou tu peux arriver avec quelque chose d'hyper euh, choquant. Tu, sais, puis tu, yeah. tu gardes cette tension-là pendant 20 minutes, puis après 20 minutes, tu fais tu lâches la tension, puis là, le monde est juste comme enfin, c'est fini. Tu sais, puis là, tu les as accrochés, mais d'une façon violente. Tu sais. Mais. Je trouve, je trouve ce qui est important dans un show, c'est dans ce 20 minutes-là, c'est juste de mettre le tone, tu sais. Parce qu'un show, show que tu regardes, tu es toujours en train de te poser des questions parce que tu connais pas le ton du show. Mm -hmm. Tu sais, c'est ça qui est... Qui tu sais, ça va être mal fait, bien fait, euh, tu sais. Si le ton, tu le comprends, tu sais, au moins tu vas faire « Ah, j'ai pas aimé ça, mais j'ai pas aimé ça à cause de ça, tu sais. » Mais il y a des shows que tu vas voir, puis... Tu comprends pas pourquoi t'aimes pas ça, c'est juste parce que t'as pas compris le temps, tu sais. T'étais comme, c'était quoi le temps? C'était-tu une critique? C'était-tu un. Tu sais, il voulait-tu mettre ça de l'avant ou il riait de ça? C'était-tu comme une joke? C'était-tu sérieux? C'est juste, you don't know. So I think it's the, the role of the first 15 minutes, 20 minutes, just to put the tone and. Okay, that's what you're gonna see or. I think too, the more you have to keep asking yourself questions in your head while watching piece, in a way distracts you from mm -hmm. investing in it. Yeah. So if you're constantly having to kind of figure things out, like you were saying, you can't, ne you won't necessarily enjoy the piece as much as you would if you can just understand the tone and and kind of like sit back and After you can fuck it up. That's it. After trying to uh, <laughs> you can fuck up with the, the audience. Uh, yeah. that's, what I, that's what I find is very, uh, very important in contemporary dance. When you first, when, when someone who's not familiar to the genre sits down and has no idea what they're expecting other than they're going to be sitting there for, you know, X amount of time, 90 minutes, half hour, whatever, is 
exactly that, setting the tone at the beginning. I mean, either in a written form or whatnot, a little explanation, or or the the beginning. The beginning, the beginning, I find has to be a little bit more transparent for the person who's sitting there and who doesn't know exactly what's going on, or the backstory, or the the raison d'être of the show. Like, why was this created? I don't know. I just came and I sat here because someone told me to come sit here, or you know, because I saw it on the poster. Setting the tone. And setting the pace is very important in the beginning. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do you mean by transparency? Because the plupart des fois, quand t'es trop formé dans la danse, t'es pas danseur, t'es pas chorégraphe, c'est parfois difficile d'interpréter ce que les interprètes veulent te transmettre. C'est pas toujours transparent. Comme ça, d'être comme plus élaboré, d'être vraiment plus euh, geste, geste, comme de, 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 de prononcer des gestes, de vraiment, euh, je sais pas comment, c'est d'être plus prononcé, d'être plus euh, descriptif avec, avec ton corps pour bien transmettre le message. Dans le premier cinq minutes, ok, on parle de ça, on fait ça, euh, le sujet est tel, parce que c'est très difficile quand t'es pas dans dans dans, 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 le, dans, la, dans le genre de savoir exactement c'est quoi, sans euh, une arrière-description ou euh, mm-hmm. quelque chose de ce genre. Mais si le ton est set, dans le premier cinq minutes, si tu sais ce que tu fais, là tu comprends, puis l'arc, ça se suit très très bien. Mm-hmm. As a performer, I think those first 15-20 minutes are building the trust of your audience. Whether or not they're there with you and they're quite understanding where you're going to go with it, it's, it's, it's selling what you're giving them, whether they understand what it is or not, or they're not quite there, you're building their trust to go, just let me take you there. That's okay, a good, we'll get good there. way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a very simple idea when we sit and talk about these first 15 minutes or uh, what kind of a mood is an audience member in uh, or what is the choreographic intention for the audience. But um, it, it's, it may be simple, but it's very important and everybody's touching on things that are Uh, I don't think gets spoken about enough because you can't order a dance piece on Netflix. You can't <laughs> rent a dance DVD easily, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's something that happens very much in the moment. So these are things that that are, that are very uh, very important to speak about. And just wanted to say that because everybody's been making very very good points about the the relationship. Um, is there uh, a basic expectation that either side has for? The other. Is there a basic expectation that a choreographer has for their audience? Like, do you go into your work thinking, as long as they get this one part, or as long as they enjoy this one, or they clap at that joke, I'm good? Or on the flip side of that, is there a basic expectation from an audience member? Do they do they need to be transported? Do they need to be lost in the movement or do they just would they rather just um, kind of uh, be led through through the journey on stage like the the audience side is a little bit more uh, of a gray area because they are already allowing themselves to be kind of taken for a ride just by sitting in the seat but on the choreographic side what is that basic basic need from the audience I were a choreographer, the the minimum 
expectation I would have from my audience, whether they liked it or hate it, was would be to be respectful of the work. And if you absolutely hate it, at least give it the chance and to sit and hear or see what the entire work is without, you know, being disrespectful to that choreographer. And it's almost that, not even like being, it's, it's almost not even saying that they have to be open. You want them to be open, but they have to be respectful. Yeah. Unless it was something that was like extreme, someone's getting murdered, okay, it's a different story, but you know, like. I mean, because there are elements of, of choreography that really challenge the audience, that yeah. is going to challenge um, audience uh, morals, um, mm -hmm. uh, viewpoints on social, political issues, um, even what they think dance in quotation marks actually is mm -hmm. for them universally. Like, like constantly, um, I mean, an audience member is pretty much asking to be challenged, but how far can you push that audience member in their comfort zone? And, and what, or is that even an, um, is that even a goal for a choreographer? It may not necessarily be a goal for every choreographer, but is it for any of the choreographers in this room? Are you constantly trying to challenge your audience? Or are you just creating work that um, kind of lives in its own world and it's to be experienced less so than confronted? I think that I would like my audience to expect to have an experience rather than be entertained because of the fact that it's not on the screen, because of the fact that they've taken the effort to come out, that I think I have to, uh, whether or not acknowledge them, at least in feel like they've had an experience and not just have seen something entertaining. That's, that's my thought. Wait, sorry, go ahead, Katie. I think as an audience member, my basic expectation of choreography is that it at least be well constructed. Okay. That you never uh, make a lazy decision. Nobody puts even like 30 seconds on stage that doesn't belong there. So that in, in the interpretation of the work, in the construction, it at least the effort has been made to make it cohesive. So that when I come, I'm not expecting to, if I'm being expect, if I'm expecting to see something in particular, I'm not seeing mostly that, and then like thirty percent, not that I just liked this part, or not that uh, the dancer just likes doing this, or not that this is just beautiful. I mean, sometimes I have problem with choreography that um, isn't rigorous in that way, and as the choreographer, I attempt to hold myself to that rigor okay. because I expect that people want that. But how would you be able to tell that? Um, I think sometimes if I, I see um, a portion of a work that's aesthetically uh, totally different than the rest of the work um, it or jarring, sometimes um, when I go see work with people who uh, don't have any experience, like background in dance, and they'll say to me after, they'll turn to me and be like, because they, they, they think it must 
work on some level and they want to know what they missed about it. So they're turning to me and they said, like, do you know in that part when she turns to him and then she hits him in the face? What's that about? It's like, I really have no idea. It seemed really out of point, out of, out of context to me too. You know, I guess, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's certainly subjective. There's no like grading scheme, obviously. Um, but once in a while, uh, like if the acting, if, you're, if your uh, interpreters are attempting to convey like emotions theatrically and they're not there, to me it's like you have to be rigorous enough to say These, this process is not working, my dancers are not actors, I need to either hire actors or hire an acting coach or I need to do something because this acting sucks. And you know, or you need to bring somebody into your process who says that to you <laughs> or you know, uh, things like that. So. That's very that's very much an educated audience member's mm. standpoint. Yeah. For for audience members who have not had an extensive background in the creative process for for choreography or for dance, they may not necessarily have that same standard. Right? Right. But I think that they do expect to understand the work. Like a lot of people, I find expect be like, I didn't get it, I didn't understand it. Okay. They expect to come into it and have some sort of intellectual takeaway. And when we're confusing in the construction of our work or in the interpretation of our work, we don't help them with that. Okay, yeah. I think that that's my point. I get that. Um, that makes that's that's a good point then because that's that's that goes along with the question of are you challenging your audience or. Like Allison said, she wanted them to have an experience. So, mm -hmm. how much of what you create in the studio uh, that comes out of research and exploration in the moment, at, at what moment in the process does the relationship with the audience come into play? Pour, uh, dans le, le, le processus, uh, à quel moment le relation avec le public uh -huh. entre les processus. I think it should be considered from day one. You mean like, Person. who am I doing this choreography for? Like you. Well, if you have the intention of presenting it and you know where you're going to be presenting it, I think whether that you know distinctly the the you know market or whatever you're going for you still kind of know in the in the background if i was just a general public this is this is what i was this is what i at least get from it or it gives to me i think that's assuming too that you're already programmed how many choreographers uh realistically in this city are already programmed right off the bat where most of us go into a space, start to, okay, now I shouldn't say most of us, I'm speaking now in my own process, and I've worked with you before. Um, <laughs> our process um, is just start making movement and making movement happen, and whether you have an intention behind that, you have an image, you know, I'm not gonna go into all the different ways you can begin your creative process, but for me personally, I go in, I make a movement vocabulary, uh, I start to structure things, and a, you know, a piece of work is starting to come through. Perhaps when I'm beginning to structure and I'm starting to see where I want to go with this piece of work, that's when I would bring in my audience. Because from rehearsal one through five, I'm pretty much just fucking around the studio and seeing what sticks, if I can speak frankly. 
um, <laughs> which I just did. Uh, but it's, I mean, that's a God honest truth for me. Um, but I also worked with a choreographer, I worked with a company for a few years that his immediate vision was to fuck around with the audience and went, all right, how can we do that? And that was the jumping point. You know what's interesting about that perspective, though, is from, from, from an audience, from a, from a, a non-choreographer perspective, you do want to be challenged to a certain degree. You want to, you want to be entertained, but you, at some point, as much as you want to understand the piece, from the minute it starts, you're always saying, okay, what's happening? You're watching a movie, you're trying to figure it out, you're watching a piece, and you're trying to figure out the movement. What's going on? Part of a good piece is also what, what lingers behind that makes you keep reconsidering the piece. Mm-hmm. So, fucking around with your audience, <laughs> sometimes, at, at a, you know, on, on, on a thin line, is, is, is nice. You get, that, you get that, re, that lingering moment that, you know, that you don't quite understand, you saw, you made sense of it, and you want to know more. Uh, and then afterwards you talk about it, and you talk about it, and you talk about it, and it, and it becomes more than it was. I always wished that I could be an audience member in the work that I was in, mm. <laughs> to see how I would feel it being done to me, because I've never really experienced that. I've worked with him, Patrick Lloyd Brennan, I've worked with him a number of times, a number of different work, and it was very rare that I was an audience member. Because um, I think I'd be really pissed, <laughs> personally. Uh, but yeah, just on the, on the flip side of that, I have no—I really don't know how my audience felt about it, which is kind of selfish. Because I just did it and threw it at them and went, "Okay, bye, thank you." Uh, and obviously spoke about it with people afterwards. But even when people come up to you after afterwards, sometimes you don't have an answer. As you say, like, what did that mean, Katie? When people talk to you, what did that mean? What did that mean? Even if you're in the work or you created the work, it's like, why did it have to mean something? Why can't I just propose something to you? And from there, you, you walk away with that and you make you create your own meaning. I find it interesting because I I always have the audience in my mind when I'm making work because I can't help it. And I don't know if it's because. I'm a choreographer and also a producer, mm-hmm. so I, I have a hard time separating those. Donc je trouve que le, mon travail qui est toujours le meilleur, c'est le travail que je fais quand je connais déjà c'est qui l'audience. Which is why I do a lot of contracts in musical theater, uh, a lot of contracts uh, well, for regular theater <laughs> uh, and for film because there's an expectation, you know what the audience is, and I find I can get really creative within that once I know. I, yeah. almost, I almost think that in a way the choreographer could be the first spectator. Yeah, yeah. That absolutely. Yeah. Uh, because that's part of what was going through my head during this is do not every choreographer needs an audience because sometimes it's just about what's being created in the studio uh-huh. if the choreographer is the first audience member um, so there is that that question of uh, who is the audience you know that the, the larger question really um, who are you going to be a slave to while you're creating your work <laughs> yeah are you a slave to your own your 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 own uh, challenges that you've set for yourself or your own you know bullshit that you're carrying around your baggage <laughs> things that you need to chase down things that you're trying to accomplish or is it um, are you 
a choreographer who is both blessed and cursed with having to constantly do the same thing in order to keep filling seats and keep getting grants, you know, that's a, that's a whole other thing. Ça c'est ça c'est une grosse défi dans le danse contemporain, c'est the the opposition of creating art and creating work that people pay to see, because mm -hmm. not everybody wants mm -hmm. to pay to see art. Unfortunately, uh, on, on a larger scale, um, it's not necessarily um, uh, economical. That's not even probably not what I want to say, but it's hard to make a living at just choreography in contemporary dance for the reason of art versus commerce and where they clash. Uh, what Amy was saying about being a producer and also a choreographer and how that affects her work makes me think also of uh, a point I've heard recently about programmers in the city also being in charge of administration for their companies. So when they're programming work, they're not thinking about the artistic integrity of the work, they're thinking about what's selling. So the problem gets bigger. That's where the ballet companies have it right, because you have an artistic director and then you have a general manager and never the two shall meet, really. Yeah. It's oh, the nice. idea of being able to split, you know, it's the idea of being able to split hats. I mean, this is a topic for, like, this could be a whole other topic on its own, but it does play into who your audience is, especially in the realm of contemporary dance. Yeah. If you look at an event like Piss in the Pool, they know who their audience is. Mm -hmm. If you look at something like The Nutcracker, they know who their audience is. But something like Bouge de Sea, we're still learning who our audience is, and our audience changes because our um, our performers and our choreographers keep changing. So we keep getting a new audience, and we're trying to now we're trying to work on the on the bring back, you know, on how to get them back, how to keep putting butts in seats regardless of who's on stage. Oh yeah, I find the rule of thumb is 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 five years. You know, companies if they if they survive to five years, and the fifth year is a success. Hopefully that's good. It's our fifth year, but you know the first yeah, knock on wood. I mean the first the first time you put on your show, you know that your friends and family are gonna come. If it's good, maybe they'll come back. The second time you put on your, a show, your family is gonna come. And it's like the third time, if you haven't developed and done audience development, people are gonna stop coming. You know, but I, that's my theory on it at least. But again, could be another topic. Seems pretty fair. Yeah. yeah. I have a I have a thought I'd love to share because uh, that I find that this topic just sort of brings me to see uh, and we talk about you know the contract between the audience and the choreographer and the work and as a dance curator I find what happens often is um, choreographers that want to challenge how pieces begin or how pieces end. So, for example, there's conventions in dance. Mm. At the end of a piece, the piece is over and the audience claps. And I find that it's often a challenge for a choreographer to figure out uh, how do I end my piece to begin with? I mean, we've all been there, right? How do I end my piece? But then also, it's like, when I look at it, it's like, okay, so you've ended your piece. How does that relate to the audience? Do they know to clap? Is that important? If you have an audience that isn't used to going out to seeing shows, or maybe they go see theater and not dance, they're expecting, you know, the big finale, the clapping. It's like, should you be giving your audience those conventional cues? 
you know? Blackout and applause and... Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It, it's questions, and I, I find that with shows like Common Space, it comes up a lot, too. It's like, you know, I'm going to fade out the music really slow, and then there's still going to be movement on stage when it's dark. And it's like, what message are you giving your audience when that happens? I'm not saying it's wrong, but... Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious. That brings up an interesting thought in my head, if I can voice it really quick. Yeah. Um, sometimes when you're looking at the ending of a piece and you're not sure what, what it's ending, as an audience member, you're, are you ready to clap? Are you not? You feel a little bit uncomfortable because you're not sure what the decorum is. You don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to interrupt, you don't want to be rude, you don't want... So what do you do? And what happens when you feel uncomfortable at a show? Do you go back to shows? So j just to further yeah. your point, if there was a little bit of a, a format or if, or if something like that kind of developed, maybe it would become more accessible to mm -hmm. people who are not typically, who feel a little bit uncomfortable or not, but what do I do? I've never yeah. been to a show like that, what do I do? There are there are a couple uh, ways to to answer that. Not definitively, of course, but one is there's always a plant. Yeah, the yes, that's, yeah. The, that's the simplest way. Is that there's always a plant, or the choreographer is in the audience and they start the clapping. <laughs> but also, um, there is some work that it finishes, and everybody in the audience is literally kind of at a loss for words because it's either. Most of the time, it's very. It takes you back, and you really sit with yourself, and then yeah. it feels right yeah. to begin the 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 process of congratulations. But then also, there are times where um, I've, I've I've witnessed it, where somebody's just walked off stage, and the lights are still up, and they're off the stage, and everybody's sitting in the house, and. As, as the story was related to me, the dancer went back into the dressing room and the piece that was on after them said, oh, how'd it go? He's like, oh, it went good. I think I'm going to go take a shower. And he went down and they were like, but we didn't hear the audience clap. So It's almost like the, he didn't give them permission to clap. Yeah, yeah. so it, you know, there's this, this, is this idea of, of convention versus um, artistic satisfaction. If that's how he felt he wanted to end his piece and then just leave it up totally in the air, that's another way of challenging the yeah. audience, you know? Because yeah. you're gonna be challenged for X amount of minutes, not right up until the end and then we're gonna let you know it's all good. You know, there's there's this idea of of pushing the entire the entire piece for the entire length, even up until you go home. Because yeah. maybe the piece isn't over. There's always that, you know, it's like a uh, what's that that uh, grammar term, a dangling participle, you know, that idea, I'm just like, it's just kind of there. I've seen a few pieces like that where I was gobsmacked because I did not know how to react to what was happening. And, and, I, and I have to tell you, in all honesty, I talk about those pieces the most <laughs> now. Yeah. It's also the the choreographer is they have to understand their intentions at the end in a way they're setting you up. So walking off stage, she knew that quite possibly, you know, people were not going to clap. So you kind of, you know, 
can predict uh, the reaction of, of audience members by the way you finish. It, there are many like there are many kinds of audiences, and so the kind of audience in general that goes to see one choreographer doesn't go and see another choreographer's work. And I've been in audiences where I was one kind of audience member surrounded by other kinds of audience members um, who had obviously connected with something who um, sometimes people like feel moved to respond while something's going on um, and other kinds of uh, choreographers set up a uh, proposition that's like, no, you're sitting, I'm doing, this is what's happening. Um, and for me, it the question is, is um, I, I'm always desperately hoping that the kind of work that I want to continue to make is the kind of work that will develop an audience, they will find an audience. And so, because I don't want to alter my work to reflect an audience I want to have, um, so it comes right down to the way a piece begins or ends. Do I want to challenge a convention? Do I? Because there are plenty of people, Dom, who love going to things and being super uncomfortable. Um, like there are all kinds of artists and artworks in visual art and music and all kinds of things who make stuff that makes people really uncomfortable, and they go back over and over and over. They pay three hundred dollars to go see a show, like where they're expecting something disgusting to happen and they're excited about it <laughs> and so you know like that's what they're excited for and so is it still disgusting if they're excited for it <laughs> are they still uncomfortable if they're enjoying it well that's it right and so I mean the question becomes I mean I saw um, I think Elsie Parlet by Frédéric Gravel and his it's right in the middle of the piece the lights all come up and it seems like it's over and there's a good, long, deeply weird pause because whatever they've done to set up the piece makes you feel, and I was surrounded by like a collective feeling of, this isn't quite right. I don't, this doesn't seem like the end. What, you know, people are looking at each other, people are looking at back out of the audience, and all of a sudden something starts up again. Mm -hmm. And we know, you know, and so it's to me, the, the craft of making dances for people to look at is, you know, the intention, like, okay, is your intention to leave the stage and make people feel uncomfortable? Great. Set up a proposition that does that and then see if it works night in and night out. Um, and see if an audience continues to come see your work next time you get programmed. Do you get programmed? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> do you self-present and people show up that wouldn't otherwise show up, you know? I don't know. I, I, I wonder if maybe the work of arts administrators in dance is n not maybe to try and figure out how to connect the audience that wants to see something with the dancers that want to make it, as opposed to let's select the kinds of dances that our audience, that we know, 18 to 35s, young professionals, like Scotch, they want to see this. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, that that is that's a very that's a very practical um, solution for for programming, which right. is something that is largely done in opera and 
theater. Right. Because they are programming for their audiences. What happens in contemporary dance, especially, is that there isn't the luxury of a built-in audience. So you can't dictate to the audience that isn't necessarily there. You kind of have to... It's it's far more artist-driven programming for for um, contemporary dance um, because of the fact that you don't have a built-in audience for a house for an entire season. The Centaur Theater in Montreal has a built-in subscribership. So if they're going to do a Peter Hinton play and they're going to do a Shakespeare and they're going to do uh, a Sidemar theatrical grocery production, they know that people are going to come see that because this audience already bought a bulk package of tickets, right? Mm. You're not buying season tickets to Legora. There's far too many shows, A, for that to happen. It would be expensive. But also, um, maybe I only want to see Wenwei and Crystal Pike. I don't necessarily want to see uh, Choreographer X from Tulipi, Mississippi or wherever. Like, I'm not interested in that one. You know, so it's, it's, it's harder to dictate to an audience but how do you decide dance. that that's like this is I mean this is where I'm at now is that I have enough like I know what I want to see mm-hmm. but I don't know what anybody else wants to see so how do like I know how I decide but like based on the 12 shows that Lagara puts on what I want to see in their season but I don't know I mean that's that's the question I always want to like find programmers at Senka Sets and ask them. Like, I think that artistic directors, when they bring in a company, it's because they really believe in that work. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting, as somebody who's starting to bring in more work to Mainline, not just in dance, but in theater, and Mainline's starting to do more presentations, I'm finding it's like, yeah, they don't all work. Mm-hmm. Because it is hard to tell everybody else why I've booked this show mm-hmm. and why I really believe in it. But, you know, it's like, if you're putting on a contemporary dance season, chances are that AD really believes in the work. And it's not just because they think it's going to sell a ticket, because it's probably not going a lot to. Of, a lot of it has to do as well with the creation cycle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crystal Pike doesn't do a show every year. If she did, she'd sell out. Yeah. When she tours, she sells out. Uh, when Wade doesn't do a show every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, rubber band dance doesn't do a show every year but when they do create they are packing the houses Pina Bausch sold out a year in advance <laughs> you know what I mean like that is that that's that plays into programmation and audiences now, there is a little bit of a deviation that plays into the whole role of the audience but it's a very important point to speak about because what if what if you know for a fact that there's one house that you just don't go see work at because they don't present anything that you want to watch. You will only go see work that's presented at this place because they bring in choreographers or that challenge you or bring in choreographers that fit your aesthetic or what you think you should be watching or things that stoke your own creative juices. There's That becomes a whole different audience relationship. Now we're jumping over the choreographer and going straight to the the, the 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 key holders, as it were, the people who are programming and dictating. Well, this is the work that's being shown. Maybe those that is something that we could touch on now, because ultimately, unless we're self-producing, and so unless so we take out Bougie and we take out Fringe Festival, everything else is pretty much programmed and dictated to us. So, the idea of holding 
artistic directors accountable for their seasons. How do you um, choose where you go see? You know, is it based on the choreographers? Is it based on the themes that they're presenting in their season? Or do you only go because we're such a small community and you're supporting your friends? <laughs> Something that I think is maybe in parallel to that idea or that way of finding what interests you is that I'm constantly wondering about categorizing contemporary dance because it's so broad. Um, like what Nicolas Quentin does and what Crystal Pite does are not the same no. at all. And if you like one, you're probably not going to like the other. But that's not, I don't know, but well, general discussion. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and they're starting, we're starting to get these languages and descriptions that you see over and over where you start to relate, okay, if this says, you know, theatrical and absurdist, I know what kind of work I'm going for and different language for different kinds of works. And is there wisdom in trying to all use the same kind of language to describe different types of contemporary dance so that we can better match the audience mm. to the work so that they can appreciate it. And then there, there's also a negative side to that, absolutely, when the work is not categorizable, which is why they want to be contemporary dance in the first place, so right. go Just away. Say, <laughs> language is so subjective. And I know it's not supposed to be, and my boyfriend is an editor, and uh, he always reminds me that words have specific meanings, but yeah. to me, language is so objective. Ah, I mean, subjective. Ugh. The, on the choreographic side, um, is it... C'est une intention pour, pour toi, pour créer pour un uh, uh, directeur artistique spécifiquement ou non? Is it more like you're creating your work or if you know you're being programmed somewhere, do you lean your work towards that house or to that artistic director? Je pense pas que c'est la bonne façon de rentrer dans le travail, mais... Je pense qu'il y en a qui peuvent le faire, là, mais je pense aussi en même temps que les directeurs sont de plus en plus en lien avec leur choix personnel ou leur choix... Ben, ça dépend lesquels, là, mais je veux dire, il y en a qui ils veulent, ils font leur, le choix pour vendre, puis d'autres font le choix par euh, intérêt personnel. Mm -hmm. Puis s'ils le font par intérêt personnel, ben, là tu sens que tu as une confiance, que là tu peux faire tu sais, en fond euh, ce que tu as besoin de faire pour faire euh, avancer ton travail. Ou, euh, mais d'aller dans un objectif de, de vente, là, des fois ça peut être euh, castrant quoi, pour le chorégraphe. Puis je pense pas que c'est une bonne façon de faire évoluer euh, ton art personnellement. Puis tout ça, là, là c'est là que tu t'en vas plus pour faire un, un musical ou des choses comme ça. Je trouve en même temps, si tu es quelqu'un qui est capable à vraiment bien décrire ton travail, on peut. On revient aux mots, <rire> mais si tu as les propres mots pour vraiment décrire qu'est-ce que tu fais, si c'est pas nécessairement quelque chose qui va en ligne avec un AD qui existe, peut-être ils vont mieux comprendre puis être un peu plus ouverts. Mais, euh, you know, yeah. C'est pas une qualité que toutes les chorégraphes font de bien décrire leur travail. Là. Ouais. Mais ça devient genre... un autre métier, genre comme ouais. quand t'es chorégraphe indépendante, tu deviens la chorégraphe et le producteur aussi. Le producteur, le... le... Si, la... C'est comme... Tu as déjà fait une formation et tu as déjà fait la... le processus de... de travailler ton travail, ton travail d'artiste. Et en plus, il faut 
d'écrire et d'écrire et d'écrire, et non pas juste d'écrire de façon que tu, tu penses qu'elle est honnête, mais d'écrire de façon qu'une personne particulière que tu ne connais pas va te comprendre. C'est ça que je trouve difficile. That's why we hire grand writers. Yeah. Well, I also think that it, now that um, it's becoming more and more popular in North America, dramaturgy is what this gap bridges. And so they help the choreographer bring that to the ADs. And it's not necessarily the artist that has to justify themselves to those people. But you have someone in between, or people in between, that do those reflecting, writing, um, communication between the, the artists involved. That's also, that's something that a larger company can do. That's not necessarily something that the choreographers right. around this table have the have the um, resources for. I mean, ultimately, that's what you would like. You would like to be able to create your work, and then you're there, and your people, the team takes it somewhere, and then you're you're programmed, and that team takes care of it, and then you're just insulated a little bit from it all mm -hmm. because you you need that space to create. Um, but. I mean, it's not necessarily a luxury that everybody everybody has, but it would be great. You should be able to talk about your work as a choreo as a choreographer. You should be able to not necessarily explain and map it out for somebody, but you should be able to communicate into words what you are doing. I think that's fair. Um, if you cannot communicate with your public with your words, um, it's going to be a lot harder to communicate it through movement. Uh, how are you going to communicate with your production team? I think. If you're, if you can't speak about it, then don't put it up yet. Make it, create it, let it build, let it, let it simmer and soak, and then take the time to know how to express it with your words. Because we don't all have PR people to do that for us. We don't all have dramaturg dramaturgy. It's like, I don't know. I think if you're making it, you should know how to how to talk about it. Est-ce que tu es avantagé parce que tu es plus en mesure de parler de ton travail qu'une autre personne, justement? Est-ce que ça va te donner, ça va te donner un, en quoi, finalement, ça va être un avantage de pouvoir parler de son travail? Moi, je, moi, je trouve qu'il y, y a deux approches. Euh, soit que tu es vraiment passionné de ton, de ton travail, puis ça parle pour soi-même. Mais dans, dans ce cas-là, il faut avoir un, un environnement où est-ce que tu démontres ton, ton œuvre ou tu sais comment parler avec le public. Mm. Parce qu'il faut vraiment... Tu, tu, tu peux parler, genre, tu peux parler genre, avec le monde que tu veux, mais ça doit sortir dans, dans le média pour que le monde vienne voir le show en grand nombre. Comme ça, il, de, de mon avis, il faut être capable de parler de son show. Ou avoir une équipe pour t'aider à, ben ouais. à se faire. Je pense que si tu n'arrives pas à parler de ton travail, c'est quand quelque part tu ne sais pas quest ce que tu fais. <rire> oui. Mais, par contre, il y a beaucoup de personnes que, qui savent parler de quelque chose qui n'est pas nécessairement ce qu'ils ont fait. <rire> et moi, j'ai peur de faire ça. En, en, et moi, je trouve ça aussi frustrant qu'il y a que là, ils il parlent de quelque chose et on, on vient voir le spectacle, on est vraiment engagé avec ce qu'ils nous avons, nous avons parlé. Et là, je m'assois pendant une heure et je vois quelque chose qui n'était vraiment pas ce qu'ils ont, ont 
ils ont décrit. Mm -hmm. Donc, et ils ont quand même un spectacle à l'Agora, donc, ou euh, je sais pas, mais c'est comme, ça aussi je trouve difficile. Mm -hmm. C'est comme, si on sait décrire ce qu'on a fait, oui, on a des avantages, mais c'est une autre façon, c'est une autre façon de diluer yourself aussi, je pense, dans votre processus. Vous pouvez parler jusqu'à ce que vous êtes en face, mais si ce n'est pas sur la scène, ce n'est pas sur la scène. Absolument. C'est aussi un très bon point. C'est aussi quelque chose qui peut devenir une autre discussion à ce moment. Nous devons laisser le public en pour Bougissi. This was this was great. Thank you, everybody, for sharing your thoughts and and sticking it out for the first of hopefully many more symposiums. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Dirty Feet. And thank you, Tim, for leading this awesome discussion for spearheading this new wonderful experience for us. Um, I love talking, so it's great. Um, but just to say uh, uh, thanks, Katie Belanger and Stephanie Saussier for joining our conversation midway through, and uh, Audrey Rachette, one of our common space choreographers, for to make sure that people at the vibrant mainline theater keep it down <laughs> while we're recording. Um, so yeah, uh, I think uh, I want to do this again. We're going to do this yeah. again. It's going to be great. And merci tout le monde pour venir, pour partager. Euh, C'est bon. So, see you next time. Yes. Merci. Yay! Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theater. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet est produit et animé par Produced and hosted by Alison Burns J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Moret-Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com Follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes à notre podcast. Listen to past episodes on website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show. <laughs> <laughs>